Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you are jumping in with us for the first time today, we are on day 50 of the plan. Yeah, so go ahead and jump in. You'll be able to keep up with us this week. I'm going to take a sidebar real quick. Every time you say, this is a podcast where we read the Bible, we read the Bible together every year, Will Smith comes into my head. Now this is a podcast <laughs> all about how we take every year. And Anyways, I love um, so it's just a little funny. That's that's what goes on in my head as, as you hit the intro. Uh, and as I kind of jump in here, as you're reading along with us, we do uh, ask you to send questions in that may be something that was just curious to you, or maybe it was an insight and you wanted thoughts on, or maybe it's a legit, like difficult question that you can't figure out an answer to. We love taking time as much as we can week over week uh, at the end portion of our podcast to answer uh, a question or two or three, depending on the podcast episode. Uh, and so I would love for you to send in those questions. There's three ways that you can do that. One is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Put in the subject line, a podcast question. Uh, or the other two ways are via social media. We have, uh, are the Grove Church in Washington, as Evan has already said. We have a Facebook page. You can DM us there. Uh, or you can follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is the Grove CH. Uh, and you can direct message us questions there as well. So we get questions in all three of those avenues, and we love to take time as much as we can uh, to answer them. So please send in those questions. All right. Well, this week we are finishing up Leviticus. We're cheating a little bit yeah, by one chapter, yeah, but we figure wrap it up. Put a, looking, put a little bow on this book. If you're looking ahead and you're thinking to yourself, but wait a second, we're only reading through chapter 26. Wait a minute. A, kudos to you for looking ahead. Uh, but B, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it just didn't make sense to do one chapter next week and then jump into the rest of numbers. So we were like, okay, let's just do, let's finish Leviticus. We'll call it good. Um, and so that's what we're going to do today. So first off, we're going to pick it up in chapter nine. So remember last week, tabernacles dedicated, glory of the Lord. It's like, you know, really cool, really cool stuff happening. Why am I talking about that? That's happening. And that happened in Exodus. My goodness. It's Aaron and his sons were consecrated for the priesthood. That's what we left. That's where we left off in last. Yeah. Week. I was going to say for a second, wait a minute. That was Exodus. And it's funny because it all kind of bleeds together a bit because it's all happening during the same duration. If you remember last week, right. Leviticus happens, covers the material about a year after they left Egypt. Numbers will cover the year after, but also the rest of 39. So, so it kind of is all together. So you can kind of say, yeah, it kind of happened that way. Yep. We're but. in like kind of the, uh, kind of the one narrative portion of Leviticus before we get back into the law. So in Woo-hoo. chapter nine, we pick up, like I said, after Aaron and his sons have been consecrated for the priesthood, uh, and they conduct the first official sacrifice service of the tabernacle. And so this is kind of like the things that will begin to happen with, with regularity. Um, after this is finished, both Moses and Aaron go into the tent of meeting. And when they emerge, they bless the people. And it says the glory of Yahweh or the glory of the Lord appears to all of Israel. Um, the scene ends with fire from God consuming the offerings or the sacrifices that were just made. So, fire. fire yeah, and it shows, um, it shows that God approves, right? God accept, God has accepted these sacrifices and they are, they are consumed with fire. Um, kind of reminds me of like Elijah, which we'll get to that. A little bit later. Yeah, a long time from now, uh, but a similar miracle is happening there. And then the people all fall down to worship, which, you know what? Good on the Israelites, because that's... (laughs) I would would hope that, you know, I'm not perfect, but I would hope if I saw the visible glory of the Lord and then saw the like fire consume an offering, I would also uh, want to worship in that moment as well. So cool. Uh, This gives way to one of the most shocking scenes in the book so far. And I would say probably the most shocking scene in Leviticus numbers has, uh, we'll get to that next week, uh, probably next week. I guess I haven't looked at what we're talking about numbers, but is it? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to Cora next week. Oh, as far as, I don't know about that part. Not that part. That's that for me is like we, we jump into the census, which is really exciting. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> listeners, that just gives you something to look forward to. Korah and then also Balaam are two two guys in numbers who meet some uh, you know some shocking things happen to them. Let's say, uh, but. This week, we're in Leviticus chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Or strange fire is the other way that can be uh, translated, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. 
Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, uh, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithmatar, or Ith. Ithamar, his sons, uh, do not let the hair of your heads lay loose. Do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they, and they did according to the word of Moses. Okay. It's kind of a bummer because this, this also seems to have happened the same day. So mm-hmm. it's, and it's, it's crazy that all these things are happening, like within, like you said, such a short period of time, tabernacles consecrated, the priests are consecrated. We have the first worship service essentially of the tabernacle glory of the Lord consumes the offering, all the people fall down and worship. And then Nadab and Abihu, uh, I mean, they mess up real big yeah. and then the, uh, the Lord straight up kills them. Yeah. And that's what happens here. Um, yeah, it's it's a shocking thing, and we'll get to this a little bit more in um, my application portion at the end. Um, Teaser. Yeah, I think one of the main themes of Leviticus, dare I say, the main theme of Leviticus, Be careful, is the holiness of God. Yeah, and it's the and it's this idea that um, this is not something to be made light of. This is not something that when when God is giving specific instructions in these things, that's not these aren't suggestions. You know, they're not more guidelines than actual rules. Uh, to quote. Barbarossa, but, or Barbosa. Bar- Barbosa. Come Bar- on, man. Sorry, Barbarossa was the uh, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. But I don't even know that. Redbeard. He went. Sure. He went to the Crusades and he came back and he drowned. In Irrelevant. A it's a whole. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Irrelevant. All right. Well, anyway, not Barbarossa. Barbosa. That's. This is. A t- I don't know why. From we're the getting... Pirates of the Caribbean. That's. Yeah. That's what he's referring to. I don't know why we're getting. I not everybody's so sidetracked in this. <laughs> so anyway, um, this. Yeah. So this goes down. I think there's a couple of really interesting points here. Number one, imagine the shock of Aaron as a father, because it says he held his peace. Um, I don't know whether that is, and it's kind of, you know, it's left up to interpretation a little bit. I don't know if that's because like he understands like this is a, this is right. What has just happened? Hmm. Or is it because he's just in shock? Yeah. Um, so, I, and I, I don't know. And I'm not saying I really lean one way or the other. And both can also be true, right? Yeah. Aaron can it's kind very of, true. Aaron can kind of understand that. It's it's God's call on what happens, mm-hmm. and also just still be like shocked that this that this all went down. Well, it, and it's even, but it even shows like because so I try and pull back sometimes and read moments like this, like Nadab and Abihu. Like it just shows the magnificence of the moment. Like they just like they they very well could have just been over overzealous, like so excited, like they're worshiping God. They wanna they wanna continue to. to to honor God or whatever, like it's the golden calf moment all over right. again. It could be this moment of the intention was to honor, but you dishonored because you were flippant. Or uh, Uzzah touching the ark, I think is yeah. a really good, and we'll get to that later. Um, but I think those Teaser. are, I think, yeah, I think both of these, and this is obviously open-handed kind Absolutely. of just conjecture. I don't think either Nadab and Abihu doing what they did here or Uzzah touching the ark that we'll get to in Samuel, Samuel. Um, I don't think either of those sins were committed maliciously. Yeah. Um, but they but, were committed nonetheless. Well, and and their sins because it's not under it's not putting the proper weight on what God has commanded, mm-hmm. and and clearly, like if if God has laid out this is how sacrifice is going to happen, and this is the only way that they're going to happen, it's showing that yep. Nadab, Nadab and Abihu did not have a proper understanding of the importance of following the law of of Yahweh. So, reverence, you might say. Yeah, reverence is a good point too. Um, so this chapter ends with Aaron's two other two sons also not following the letter of the law. Come on. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Moses commands them to do a sacrifice and to, um, it's a, it's a sin offering and a grain offering and, and they're to eat portions of it, but they don't eat. Um, and so Moses is really angry and Aaron says essentially like how basically like, would God even be pleased if we did that today? So it's, it's really interesting because it's not, it's not explained. But it says Moses was pleased by this, yeah. and they're spared. So yeah, well, there was there was confusion about being clean, right, in the moment because of everything that just transpired. Mm-hmm. And so the the so when Moses is is uh, he acquiesces to Aaron's response because it's like okay, this wasn't ignorant; it was an intentional 
uh, 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 what's the word restriction that he puts on, put on himself to not follow this portion of the command to eat the, the bread. I think it was to eat in the holy place. Right. Cause his concern was like, am I unclean or am I, I, I'm not sure if I was unclean because of my sons. Like there was a question about whether he would have upset God had he done what he was commanded to do based upon the circumstances. And so the fact that Moses like heard Aaron's under, like, I actually love that the fact that it shows a little bit of the gracious side of Moses. Because Moses is oftentimes known to be a pretty angry dude. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it shows a, a, an interesting picture and an interesting willingness for Moses to yield to Aaron's thoughtful response. So I thought that I, that right. that was interesting to read too. Well, I put in the notes that the difference seems to be that they sinned, or even not. I wouldn't even necessarily call it sin, but let's say they they did not follow the letter of the law, but their motivation seems to have been out of genuine fear of the Lord. Yeah. Um, whereas with Nadab and Abihu, it was the opposite. They sinned. They didn't follow the letter of law because of flippancy yeah. towards the Lord. And I would even argue once we get to uh, Uzzah, we keep teasing that story, Bob, but once we get there, I think that sin was committed out of flippancy as well and not out of um, a genuine fear of God's commands. And so and it, it does get to an important point because we see this all throughout the prophets, right? Is that the rituals are important, but they are not the thing that God is craving. He's craving what's in the heart. And mm-hmm. the rituals are a way... Um, to turn our hearts towards the Lord and to show respect and reverence, but empty rituals are not what God desires. Yeah. But we'll, I, yeah, we, I keep, we keep piecing things. Yeah. But it goes later. back, it goes back to that reverent filter. I think there's, there's a lack of reverence that we can see throughout God's people and some of the responses. And it's not that they were unintentional or that they were ignorant, but it was a matter of they took loosely the things of God, which they should have taken more seriously. So, yep, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to go into uh, kind of some rapid fire here. The this next big sections are laws, so we're just going to kind of highlight some of the some of the implications. Uh, Eleven through fifteen is all about the cleanliness laws of Israel. So first, we get a list of clean and unclean animals, uh, and I, I've been putting this a lot, but they are in, they include but are not limited to uh, these are unclean horses, uh, which. I recently met someone whose favorite meat is horse. What? And was talking about... Did you uh, tell him it's not, it's not biblical to I, eat I horse? Have, apparently. Uh, but he was like, dude, like he lived in like, he was a, he lived in another country for a long time and like horse was just a thing that like was eaten there all the time. He's like, yeah, it's really good. But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, horses, pigs, camels, hey. rock badgers, hares, anything from the sea that doesn't have fins or scales, which really hurts me. Um, <laughs> raptors, ravens, ostriches, gulls, uh, owls, storks, herons, bats, which I wish a, uh, a certain wet market would have listened to, uh, and then all winged insects except for certain species of locusts. So it's like locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers are cool. You remember- so what from the sea do you like that isn't fins or scales? Oh, dude, I love clams, love crab, love lobster. Um, I, am, I, I am all about... Like fish is good, but fish is probably one of my least favorite ocean foods. <laughs> I like all the other stuff. So there you go. The funny thing is I don't eat a lot of seafood because I'm not a huge seafood fan. Uh, uh-huh. So all I think about is like salmon and cod and like, what else is there to eat from the sea? And uh, I'm like, oh shoot, there's a lot. <laughs> uh, dude, there's a lot and it's all real good. Uh, luckily, and we'll get to this once we get into Acts, we're not under this uh, commandment of the law. Thank so you, we Lord. can eat all of these things, although you shouldn't. Looking at you, wet market with bats. <laughs> anyway, so after after this, uh, the Israelites are told that if they touch the carcass of an unclean animal, they will be considered unclean until that evening. So kind of an interesting point there. Uh, and then that'll also come up with a, a certain judge when we get to the book of oh, Judges. true. Uh, and then this section ends with this important reminder. This is in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Uh, and I feel like you could honestly sum up all of Leviticus in those two verses, that just, or even just that sentence. Therefore, you will be holy for I am holy. Yep. He is setting apart the nation of Israel because he himself, because Yahweh himself is set apart from anything else. So I, don't know, I think that's, I think that's such a great thing to keep in mind. Uh, chapter 12, 
we're gonna we're gonna get some we're getting into some sections that are really weird to read through a modern <laughs> lens, but they're in the Bible, so we're gonna talk about it. Uh, chapter twelve deals with purification after childbirth. So after women give birth, they are considered unclean for either a week or two weeks, and this is depending on the gender of the child. Um, and then they're in a period of neither clean cleanliness or uncleanliness for between thirty three and sixty six days. Uh, again, this is that's dependent on the gender of the child. Um, after this, they offer a sacrifice. They offer a sacrifice and are restored to cleanliness. Um, yeah, I said, this is super weird to read today because we don't consider, I mean, I guess... Yeah, you can't leave a hospital until you offer sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, and even then, like, I'm not, like, we're, my wife and I are expecting our uh, our first child here too. I'm not going to be Woo-hoo! like, well, Ashley, you're uh, you're unclean for, and we're waiting to find out too. So it's like finding out on the day of. We'll like, find out. What kind, how long are you unclean for? Let's find out. Um I think it's, I think it, again, it's just very strange to modern ears. There's not much more you can kind of say about it than that. I think one thing that's interesting is child childbirth is beautiful. The idea of it, but the actual... Um, speaking from experience? Yeah, not speaking from experience. So uh, I, but I, but I think the, the pain of childbirth and so many of the things that we associate with childbirth are actually a result of the fall. Because remember, like part of the curse of Eve is that yep. you will strain in childbirth, and that es- essentially the suffering of childbirth is part of as part of the fall. It's a byproduct of sin entering the world. The child being born is a beautiful thing, um, and so that's where I would say I think these laws kind of remind us, and they remind the Israelites that the world is broken and sinful. And I think that's part of the uncleanness loss happening there. So that's also like open-handed, like that's just kind of what came to my mind when I was thinking about it. But I think that's kind of a helpful way to to frame that law. Cause you're kind of just like, why is this, why is this in here? I think mm-hmm. that's part of it. Uh, chapters 13 and 14 deal with the disease that seems to have caused the most fear in the hearts of the ancient Israelites. And this is leprosy um, or Sara'at in Hebrew. Um, which work. I, so I didn't, thank you. Uh, I didn't realize, cause you brought up, uh, you brought this up a few weeks ago and it, it kind of got me looking into it. I did not realize that what the Bible refers to as leprosy is probably not modern day leprosy. It's similar and it has similar. Yeah. You gave me a funny look when I said that, yeah, by the way. I was way. like, I had no idea. So there you go. You, you learn something new every day. I'm just listening. glad I was actually right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, it has some similarities. Like if you read some of the For symptoms sure. of leprosy, yep. you'll see that this is here, but there's other things, there's other symptoms that happen, um, which you would say, oh, well, this isn't part of modern leprosy. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of this could be sara'at, which is the again the, the Hebrew word there. That could be referring to a myriad of skin diseases as opposed to just one specific disease. Because again, we, we, we think of diseases differently today than they would back then. Um, but when you read all throughout the Old Testament, clearly leprosy, and I, I'm going to call it leprosy just because that's the way it's translated sure. in English. I'm not going to say sara'at every time that we, we talk about this. Please do. Um, but cl- clearly leprosy occupies just a massive part in the imagination of the people of Israel. Um, you see, that's pretty much like one of the worst things that can happen to you. There's a king, I won't spoil which one, but there's a king who gets leprosy specifically because um, he offers, I wonder if it's called strange fire there as well. I don't know no. that, uh, but he, he, he does something similar to what Nadab and Abihu do. Um, and he is, he is punished with that, but we'll get to that. That king's in Braveheart, right? Yeah, that is I'm just Robert the Bruce's father. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot his name. We'll call him Bruce. Anyway. So, uh, but yeah, really interesting there. Um, there's a list and th- this goes on for a long time. It's chapter yes. 13 and 14. I, th- I forgot which one is which, but one of them is an exceptionally long chapter when yes. you're reading through Leviticus. Just endure. Okay. Reader, just endure. Just I've read through it. It's... Just endure. We're almost through the law, reader. It's going to be awesome, listener. And then we're going to get into you know the narrative portions again. Maybe uh, there after is, a census. Yeah, well, the census. That's just part of the week. Uh, there is a list of diagnosis tools for the priest to determine when someone it's, is clean or unclean. It's weird. Yeah, well, yeah, it's literally giving you like... Here. Although I will say this, it did make me think as I was reading it. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, you're good. Uh, it did make me think about like just the... like the brilliance and the insight of how God establishes intelligence. Like we have all these different methods today to, to assess and to figure out symptoms of stuff or whatever, but like being able to look at the hair and part of the rash or the skin disease portion or the disease portion to tell whether or not it's like a long-term thing or a short-term thing right. is pretty brilliant. Like God, God is pretty, he's pretty brilliant. Yeah. This, this is a blessing for the people, mm-hmm. um, for the people of Israel to be able to like, basically God's giving them diagnosis tools to say, Hey, this is just, this is just a rash. Don't yeah. worry about it. You'll be fine. You're clean still. Uh, this is leprosy needing to be removed. So sucks to be you. Yep. 
And so, and even, yeah. Sorry. I think it's in the Greek. It says sucks to be you. Sucks to be you. Uh, and then when someone is determined to be unclean, they need to live outside the camp until the, uh, until the disease is shown to be gone. And this is to obviously prevent spread. So quarantine, you might say. Yeah. Quarantine. Yeah. Basically. That's what, that's a buzzword. <laughs> um, so I feel like, I guess it's not as much. We're, we're, we're pretty well past the, yeah, yeah. the pandemic now. The, for those of you listening far in the future, this is 2023. I almost said 2022. Jeez. All right. Uh, it's still early in 2023. So true. Um, so in chapter 14, we are told how someone who was unclean with leprosy can be readmitted into the camp. So there's a process for this. Um, first, the priest must inspect the person. And after they have been determined to be free of the disease, there's a series of sacrifices required. Um, and also, and this, you'll see this in a few spots in Leviticus, I think is really cool. God makes provisions for the poor. Um, so if like, let's say you, you're not a rich person, you don't have these flocks of animals. I don't know if I said flocks, you don't have herds of animals um, and you can't bring one in sacrifice. You can I forgot. I think it's a tur- two turtle doves or something like that, but basically something that is very cheap to be able to sacrifice. And it's a provision made for those who don't have a lot of wealth, um, which is also when you get to the New Testament, that's the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph offer for the birth of Christ yep. is the the cheap sacrifice for the poor. Because they were poor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also get a section dealing with how priests were to cleanse a house of leprosy. And this is one of the big passages where you're like, this isn't modern day leprosy because you can't, like it's, it's, Modern day leprosy does not fix itself to like houses and walls and stuff like that, but there's a whole list of things for a uh, priest to do there. Uh, and then getting back to chapters that are really odd to read today, uh, chapter 15 deals with the laws of uncleanliness after bodily discharge for both men and women. Uh, I'm not going to get super into this, but it's basically different sacrifices and rituals are required depending on the situation and depending on what kind of discharge there was. So there's different allotments of how long you're unclean and what kind of sacrifices you need to make. Um, and there's differentiation essentially between like sinful discharge and non-sinful discharge. So interesting. In chapter 16, we get to the day of atonement or Yom Kippur uh, or Yom Kippur. I don't know how you pronounce that actually, but um, to this day, if you have Jewish friends who are, who actually um, adhere to the religious aspects of Judaism, it's the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. So it's still a big day. Uh, and this is its first time. Uh, On the first day of atonement, Aaron is instructed to take a bowl and offer it as a sin offering for himself and his family. After this, he is to take two goats, one of which is to be chosen as a sin offering. The other is to be presented before the Lord and sent into the wilderness after Aaron has laid hands on it and he has confessed the sins of Israel. Um, And this is also where we get the word and the idea of a scapegoat, right? So first, and this would this would be a ritual that is repeated every year. So the this, the the day of atonement is something that the high priest would do. He would offer a sacrifice for himself and his family personally, and then he would take two goats. He would sacrifice one as a sin offering, and then he would lay his hands. And essentially, the idea was all of the sins of the people of Israel were now on this other goat. They were on this scapegoat, and it was sent off and essentially presented before the Lord in that way. So a really cool picture that God is painting of the fact that he is making a way of atonement for the people of Israel. Uh, Chapter 17 is our next chapter, and it feels odd at first being a series of laws about what to do with the blood of slaughtered animals. Uh, it's It's a whole big thing. And there's even a part where it's, it compares the sin of not bringing the blood to the Lord as similar to human murder. The punishments are kind of similar. So it's really interesting. Um, as the chapter goes on, we see that this seems to be dealing with a specific cult that has arisen. And so already, again, this is this is not a long period of time. Like this, the end of Exodus through this portion of Leviticus is it seems like it's like weeks. It's not very, yeah. it's not very long. Um, and so you would think the people of Israel would have been like, Hey, remember that time that we worshiped a golden calf and God was really upset and Moses made us drink it, like it two months ago. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't freaking do that again. <laughs> you would be thinking wrong listeners because we read, uh, this is Leviticus chapter 17 verses seven through nine. Uh, so they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons. I'd love to know more about what goat demons are, but that's all we hear. Uh, After whom they whore, this shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting and offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. So essentially the idea is 
It's preventing sacrifices done in secret. And if you're going to sacrifice something, you need to present it before the Lord every time. You can't just go off and do other sacrifices. Um, Later, we'll see this kind of take the place of the high places where people are sacrificing to Yahweh, but not in the place where he has commanded it to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also see, obviously, a ton of sacrifices that are to other gods as well. And this seems to be, I I shouldn't say the start of it, because the start of that was... uh, I mean, it was in Egypt, to be honest, I suppose, because we read in Ezekiel that even in Egypt, the people of Israel were unfaithful. But particularly the stories we get are the golden calf and then these these goat demons. Not great. Those, those goats, man. That Come on, right. Israel, step it up. All right. Well, before we get into the rest of Leviticus, we do want to take a pause here to ask ask you to leave us a five-star review, if you haven't already. Um, it does help us get the podcast out there to more people. And we really do, we really do cherish... Um, your reviews and your feedback. Um, we've said it before, but like sometimes it can feel like, hey, is it just us two talking to each other? Even though you see the numbers on the back end, but actually being able to interact uh, with some of yeah, you, absolutely. Is, it's a blast. Yeah. So it's a fun way to engage together. Uh, so I'd love for you to take time to do that today if you haven't already. Uh, as Evan said, we're kind of in the rapid fire phase of Leviticus as we're kind of ideally winding it down because it's been a brutal read. Um, for me, and I know some of us feel the same way, but I'm thankful that we still get to uh, see kind of how God is establishing, working to establish His own covenant and His, own, his covenant through His own His own people. Uh, and so, jumping into chapter 18, we'll see see where it's going to deal with pagan practices uh, that are prohibited, uh, including uh, incest, adultery, bestiality, homosexuality, child sacrifice, which is one that Evan can't stand the most. Molech, um, looking at you. And it, Molech comes back in two chapters. So, um, but it, it's it's God detailing through Moses these these practices that are prevalent in the world around them, in the, in the tribes and the peoples around them, that they are not to adopt, they are not to act as well, because as as a covenant community of the Israelites were called uh, to be set apart. Uh, and so you see God saying very specifically uh, not to adopt those things. Um, you see chapter 19, uh, all the Ten Commandments are reasserted here. Uh, you'll find that the people uh, of Israel are called to live holy lives, which again, holiness is a theme in this chat, in this book specifically. Uh, and their lives are, are their holy lives are meant to demonstrate and be demonstrated through worship, integrity, justice, and love. Uh, so you see the details of that in chapter 19 here. Um, chapter 20, uh, laws in this chapter, and I'm going to be, I'm going to take a side step for a second. I'm not reading a lot of Leviticus because I want you to read it <laughs> um, because it's worth reading. It's important to read, even though it is kind of a matter of endurance in some respects. Um, chapter 20 brings back uh, some of the laws uh, that are in chapter 18. Uh, except here in chapter 20, we actually see penalties for disobedience uh, are attached to the laws, uh, specifically forbidding Molech worship, which is child sacrifice, uh, the pagan religious practices and the sexual offenses. Um, and there's actually punishments, death and stonings and and consequences for doing things that God has forbidden in chapter 18 and now 20. Uh, chapter 21 speaks specifically to priests, uh, where the st- Standards that our, our God is establishing through his people are set higher for the priests, um, especially in the matters of mourning, which we kind of get that picture from Aaron when his son, when Nadab and Abihu, uh, Abiath, Abi, Nadab and Abihu, yeah, yeah. Um, when, they, when they die because of the, uh, the way that they chose to worship, um, Aaron doesn't have the privilege to mourn like the rest of his family does um, yeah. because he's set apart. In that I regard. should I should have explained that when I was reading, but when Moses says, don't let your hair down, don't tear your clothes. It's those grieving, are all, it's yeah, mourning. Those yeah. are all signs of mourning. He's saying yeah. you're not allowed to um, show the ritual of mourning. And specifically in that context, you know, just to jump back into it, I guess for a second, because it, it applies here is uh, because at that point he had already been anointed in the ephod. He'd already been anointed in the term in the priestly garments. He had already put them on and he'd already been anointed. And so when Moses tells Aaron, you can't do this, don't do this. It's because the Lord's anointing is already on you. Um, and every time he would leave the tent of meeting, he would actually disrobe those clothing. And every time he would go to to provide service and put on the clothing, he would actually bathe him. He'd have to bathe himself as well. Um, so all that to say, the standards are set higher matters of mourning, you respond differently. You understand differently. Marriage and family, those those rules and laws are set differently. The way you are called to operate in holiness 
matters drastically. Now, priests, Aaron was allowed to marry. He had sons, obviously. So he couldn't have had sons without marriage uh, because there's only one immaculate conception and that happens thousands of years later. Um, so marriage and family standards are there that are set higher for priests. Um, and we see a parallel in the New Testament to this as well in James, where uh, we see elders and deacons and bishops were held to a higher standard where don't all of you presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more harshly based upon what you teach. Um, so Evan and I, we get to carry that weight. It's awesome. Um, chapter 22 deals with uh, the food for priests, which is a layer of provision. It also talks about priests leading the corporate worship, uh, that they're meant to be ceremonial, ceremonially pure, uh, and the sacrifices were to be unblemished in order to be acceptable to the Lord. Um, the priest ate portions of the sacrifices. That was part of what God had created to allow them to actually have food because they they had to perform religious worship and duties. Um, and so th- this chapter specifically talks about the the food for priests and the, and the holiness that exists um, there. Chapter 23, uh, we, it covers a... Um, a whole bunch of feasts. Um, in, in essence, you see, we'll see here in chapter 23 that God will set aside a sacred period of time that includes festivals and holy days. Um, and the purpose behind it is to give God, God's people um, the rest, uh, a period of rest for everyday life. And they're also meant to help them remember his acts of creation, deliverance, protection, provision. Um, and and I, so I have a list of Jewish feasts that I'll hit here. Um, f- all, of, all of which... All but two are connected to Leviticus 23 here. Um, we've talked about the Passover. That's one of the first feasts that's mentioned. Um, and again, it just uh, re- commemorates God's deliverance from Egypt, not Egypti. Uh, my notes say Egypti, so that's, that's funny. Okay. I like I have that. An ex- I have an extra Y. Um, so Passover covers God's deliverance as well as the Unleavened Bread Festival. Um, this commemorates the same deliverance out of Egypt because he provides them bread in the wilderness. Um, the, the next festival is the, is the festival of weeks or harvest, which is we can also see and know more uh, in lines with Pentecost. Um, and this is commemorating God giving the law to God's people in Mount Sinai. Uh, the next festival that's highlighted in chapter 23 is the, the festival of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is the day of blowing the trumpets to signal the beginning of a new year. Uh, so it's like a big celebration uh, to start a new year. The next um the next festival is the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, as we would know it today. Uh, and this is where the, the high priest every year would make atonement for the nation. Uh, and also fasting is a, is, is a big uh, a big part of uh, Yom Kippur as well. Uh, and then the final one that's mentioned here in Leviticus 23, I've got two more that are not mentioned here, but are still festivals of, of, of the Jewish uh, people group. Um, shelters, uh, the festival of shelters or tabernacles, Sakat. Uh, which is to commemorate the 40 years of wilderness wandering. Also called, it's called the Festival of Booths sometimes, I think as well, in some translations. Oh, I think you're right. So if you see that, that's the same one. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting because this one, I I think I was just reading this um, in the last day or two um, because I want to, I'm reading the plan ahead to to have more content for us Um, from my portion of these because I'm not smart like Evan, so I have to revisit it every year. Don't you dare. But... Um, I was reminded of, uh, we're, we live in the Northwest. There's a, a tribe um, that we are we have built a re- relationship with and we are connected to in partnerships and opportunities just to serve our community and serve people. Um, and we do a, uh, an outreach every year called iHeart. Um, and part of what we did last year during our week of iHeart, which is like local missions trip, um, they were having a, a day, uh, a weekend of celebration were uh, the Tulalip tribes were going down to the beachfront and, oh, right, and yeah. building and putting together houses and house structures to commemorate First Nations. And when, when their people first came and they built uh, houses on the, on the beach. And so when I read this, I was like, oh man, like I know, I know Tulalip tribes have done it. And it's a big festival. It's a big salmon fest, feast and it's a big, big deal. But it is intended to remind people and remind their people specifically uh, of of what it was like when their ancestors first came to the land and lived in the land. Um, and so you see that this festival of shelters or tabernacles or booths um, is really just to commemorate the 40 years of wilderness, wilderness wandering, wilderness wandering, uh, wilderness wandering. It's, it's, it's to reflect on the journey God took them through. Uh, and so that's a, that's even a, a feast that they are just beginning to be introduced to because they don't realize it's going to be 40 years. It's just to commemorate their wilderness journey. Um, two other festivals that are in the Jewish calendar and the Jewish uh, of 
festivals, if you will, is dedication of light or lights, which is Hanukkah. Uh, and this one is to reflect on the purification of the temple by Judas, Judas Maccabees. And we see this connection in John 10. Uh, and then the other, the other festival that is also in, in our Jewish community is the Purim or Esther is what it's also referred to, which is connected to Esther nine, where it's deliverance of the Jews in Esther's time frame, um, And so that's what the festivals are. But those are Jewish festivals that most of which in this are, are connected to chapter 23. I thought you were going to say something. That's why I just stopped. Oh, I was thinking, well, I, I, I paused perfectly. And then it was like, silent. well, that's, I mean, it wasn't like that important. I was, it was just funny. I was thinking someone once remarked that um, Jewish festivals for the most part are all about um, X group tried to kill the, kill us. They failed. Let's celebrate. <laughs> and like, as you read through, you realize like, that's kind of what yep, the, that's a true. bunch of them are. Um, so that, that covers chapter 23, that just highlights the festivals and the a time where God is asking his people to set apart days, not just to not do anything or to act a certain way, but it really is meant to have rest and to reflect on God's protection and provision. Um, chapter 24, uh, provides a uh, direction for the temp, the tabernacle oil, uh, to light the lampstand and Aaron's responsibility to overnight, make sure that the, the lamp, uh, or the menorah, as we know, uh, doesn't run out of oil and doesn't die. Uh, so he's he's tasked with making sure that it continually burns, um, as well as the bread of presence or the the, the twelve loaves uh, of bread that are are create or made, uh, and the requirements thereof of what they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to where, the, where they're supposed to be in the ta- the actual ta- temple tabernacle itself. Um, and then it jumps into the case of blasphemy in chapter twenty four here, which I I think is interesting, um, and. And in a little bit of context here, Jews, and we talked about this a few different times with the, with Yahweh, um, but they stopped using the name of God because it was too sacred, right? So we know that to a degree. We talked about this many times on the podcast, um, but I actually didn't know this part. Like oft, oftentimes they wouldn't say Yahweh. Um, they would f- refer to him as Elohim or, or the like, but they also would use a word called Hashem, which simply just means the name. <laughs> Oh. Uh, and so they would refer to, when they refer to God, Hebrew, they would would say Hashem, meaning the name, um, and because it was too sacred for them, right? That's also the reason why they would remove vowels when they write the name Yahweh. Uh, so Y-H-W-H, that would be the form with which they write, because it means they're just trying to be as far from rebuke as possible, um, because the name of God was sacred. The name of God, I mean, he God says in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, if you will, because that's a Greek term that is something that is referring to the Ten Commandments, um, that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, And so we see that. So I want to read this portion of of Scripture in Leviticus chapter 24, because we see God's name misused and we see the consequences thereof. Um, And it says this, Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father uh, was among the Israelites. Um, A half-breed, if you will. The Jews don't like that anyways. But... A fight broke out in the camp between the Israelite woman's son and an Israelite man. Uh, Her son cursed and blasphemed the name Hashem, uh, and they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, a daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan, uh, which is that really unique name of the 12 sons. Um, Of all the names, Dan was the one. They said they put him into custody until the Lord's decision could be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, bring the one who is cursed to the outside of camp. You know, it's never good when God says, bring him outside the camp. Um, it's never a good sign. Uh, so let's bring him to the outside of the camp and all who have heard him laid their hands on his head. Uh, so this picture for a moment, one who has cursed God, he's aware of who God is. He understands the weight and the sacredness of God. They were just given the 10 commandments. who so said, don't misuse the name of your Lord, your God. Uh, and then he still cursed God. He still, and this goes back to some of the conversations of Job. Remember Job's wife said, just curse God and die. And Job's response was just speaking it as someone who's foolish. Mm-hmm. So the son here actually was a fool because he spoke and cursed God. So it says all of the community laid their hand, that heard him laid the, the, the hand on the son and then says, the, and then have the whole community stone him. And then God continues, says, and tell the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will bear the consequences of his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The whole community is to stone him. If he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death, whether the resident alien or a native. If a man kills anyone, he must be put to death. Whoever kills an animal is to make restitution for it, life for life. If any man inflicts a permanent injury on his neighbor, whatever he has done is to be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he inflicted on the person, the same is to be inflicted on him. Whoever kills an animal is to make restitution for it. 
but whoever kills a person is to be put to death. You are to have the same law for the resident alien and the native, because I am the Lord your God. After Moses spoke to the Israelites, they brought the one who had cursed to the outside of the camp and stoned him. So the Israelites did as the Lord had commanded. And I read this story because it's it's absolutely interesting um, to see. It doesn't, to, I mean, to, to address the simple fact, it doesn't make sense to us. I think it goes back to some of the conversations that I think Evan, you and I have had outside of the podcast in different moments, but the idea of reverence and understanding God is establishing a people for himself and he's, he's setting a standard in a bar and he can't have compromise within that covenant community. And so when he sets a standard, an eye for an eye, he's in essence saying the punishment should fit the crime. You blaspheme my name, you, you curse me. You're in essence, not just cursing me, but you're cursing everything I've done and everything I am. And, and so he says, you've got to be killed because it's, I mean, we see different allusions to Jesus where a little bit of yeast uh, impacts the whole loaf and the whole, all the dough. Um, and, and I think that that's a, an interesting tension. You also see in Matthew five, this, the standard where Jesus uh, connects back to the law where it talks about an eye for an eye, tooth for, or a cheek or a teeth, tooth for tooth. Uh, but then he raises the bar for God's people as, as followers of Christ, where it says, if if someone strikes you, it doesn't say strike them back, which is what the Old Testament law would say. It actually says, turn the other cheek. Uh, so Jesus in Matthew 5 raises the bar in that regard as well, because he says a standard and draws a higher. I say all that to say, it's just, a, it's a challenging picture to read in modern day understanding that someone was killed because they cursed God. And in today's society, how many times do we misuse God's name? And and we can get really legalistic in that respect, but God is establishing a people for himself and there's a standard that goes with that. Uh, and so that's where some of the tension I saw and it can kind of be created in there. What's interesting to me too, because you brought up the, um, the Job's wife, is that she would have no contact with the law of Moses. And yep. so this is an expectation that... Is so there's some there's I'll put it this way there's some things in the law of Moses that are kind of new expectations for people worshiping God specifically the nation of Israel the sacrificial codes is one of those mm-hmm. are one of those because um, we see in Job that he is offering sacrifices himself even though he's not a Levite so he's not under that um, he's not under that law however they both do expect that if they blaspheme if they curse the name of God that they will that they will die yeah. so it is interesting that. Um, even I, I guess as a, as another point against uh, the man who cursed God here, this isn't even like new information. Yeah. This seems to be something that the people are that the people would have been aware of, oh, well aware, of, even yeah. before, even while they were in enslaved in Egypt. Yeah, so it's not a consequence of you broke the law that was established and written. It actually is a much bigger conversation, one that would ha- would have been established from the very onset mm-hmm. of of humanity. So. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was interesting. And then I, like the, even then the the parallel that we see in the New Testament where Jesus says, you've heard it said this, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. He's like, but I say if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Um, and so it's, again, it's it's now it's now even elevating that conversation to a much higher standard too, in far, as far as followers of Christ. Um, and that's chapter 24. Chapter 25 uh, de- details what is referred to as the year of Jubilee uh, or sabbatical year, meaning it's the 50th year where there's seven seven-year blocks, and then the year after the seventh seven uh, is a year of Jubilee. Uh, and each year of Jubilee, just as a very quick overview, is it's an economic, cultural, environmental, and communal rest uh, when the land and people rest and all those who are in slavery are set free to return to their communities. Um, so there's this this detailed description about going back to the land you came from of if you sell property, you're selling property based upon how many years of harvest are left before Jubilee happens. Because when the year of Jubilee is and when the 50th year hits, then you are returned, like the, the property comes back to you. Um, and so it's, it's this incredible moment. And the thing that I think is so profound and so incredible to me in this is one, and I should have, I should have written it down. Um, but there's a portion in the, a moment in this passage in chapter 25, where it actually says that um, there, you're gonna you're gonna re- sow and reap one year, three years worth of crop, and and which is interesting because you got the the 49th year that you're gonna sow and reap. You've got the 50th year that you're gonna have reaped for because you're not gonna do any sowing or any reaping, and then you've got the year after. So you've got three years worth of provision to honor and uphold the year of Jubilee. Um, and so it's an incredible year uh, in the Israelite history. It's an incredible year where God is establishing, again, going back to the festivals uh, and this, uh, to commemorate different things. 
you're going to see the year of Jubilee really is to return uh, to God's prov- what God provided you with, um, as well as see his continued provision as you honor uh, the year of Jubilee. This a little side note, you're, in this next chapter, you're going to see uh, the blessings for obedience, for covenant obedience, as well as the discipline for disobedience. And one of the illusions that you'll find is part of the reason for uh, the Israelites' dis- punishment is because they don't honor the year of Jubilee uh, as as much and as dil- diligently as they should. Uh, so that's 25 and 26 covers the blessings and, and curses or the discipline uh, based upon obedience. And then in our extra chapter this week, because we are wrapping up Leviticus next week, uh, technically, I guess on Sunday, um, is chapter 27, uh, where we see here uh, a way of funding the sanctuary and how it takes place. Um, and and it took me a little bit to, to understand this for a second. But what happens here is um, there are individuals who have dedicated uh, supplies, materials, animals, people to the work of the Lord. Uh, and in this chapter, you see that there's a value, a monetary value ascribed to them, associated to them. And there's you, we, we will find in, in the Old Testament that there's opportunities for, um, if someone, if someone, let me just say it this way, if someone were to dedicate a person or an item or an animal to the Lord's service, they could be bought back to maintain possession of that thing that was dedicated for a certain amount of money. Uh, example is Hannah, when she was crying to the Lord, this is obviously in Samuel, uh, fast forwarding a bit. Uh, we hit Samuel a couple times today, bro. It's a good, um, it's a good book. But when we see Hannah, who's barren, is praying before the Lord, say, "Lord, give me a child. I'll dedicate him back to you." Uh, she ends up getting, she ends up getting pregnant. She ends up giving birth, and she brings Samuel back to uh, Eli, the priest, to dedicate Samuel to the to the work of the Lord. She could have paid a certain amount of money and retain and retained Samuel in her house, and God would have been okay with that. Um, which is it. I don't know if I've ever read it before and understood that before, but there was a way for God uh, to create an allowance to re- to not redeem, but to pay for the acceptance of the the item or person that was dedicated to the Lord's service. And it was a way of funding the temple. Um, so if you remember, uh, and I, I will say this as a, as, a, as a quick aside, last week we talked about um, monetary value and, and cow, like the wealth, how they determine wealth was not oh, right. um, based on money. And, and our, one of our listeners, Tim messaged me privately and said, Hey, did you make to make, did you mean to be funny with the pun? I said, and he said the cow, which, and I jumped in and said something about it being like, it's like money. It's, I don't know if I said oh, moolah or not. Uh, but then he was like, he, he broke it down for me and I just laughed. So I just thought that was funny to share for a second. Um, but it, it goes in line here because it, it, they could dedicate something and then pay an amount. And chapter 27 here details the value ascribed and associated with each dedication amount. So you could, you could pay this amount, retain possession and not, and, and still honor God for the dedication that you've made. Um, because the premise here is people are making promises saying, God, I'm going to give you this much, or I'm going to donate this item. Uh, but if they came to a point like, man, I really want to keep this ox or I want to keep my child or they could pay a certain amount and God would still be honored in their dedication, if that makes in their promise that they made to God. So that's what chapter 27 details. And that's actually where the book of Leviticus ends is how the temple or the tabernacle gets funded uh, is through that means. So um, just a fun little thing, a way to end it. So as I, as I hit my mic on accident, well, it's okay. I, I knocked something over and there was like some metal clanging. What are you getting? We're so. just, we have, we're, we're not, just falling apart of the hinges today. We don't have it together today, listeners, but you know what we do have together? Our points of application. You can't see, but I'm totally dancing right now. It's a good, it's a good jingle. Yeah. It's know? a good little vibe. I guess I can go first. I'll let you, you go first. Off. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Cause you, you ended off. You, you, we always put it in alphabetical order, right? So AA is always before EV, but. All right. Well, I usually I don't know if that's true. But. I usually try to do whoever just finished talking, they take a break, and then the other person does the application. But this week, Except this again, week. listeners, as we just said, we don't have it together, and so I had it in opposite order. Uh, for me, my application is this: God's commands are to be followed, even when they don't make sense to us. What? And I think I I, I believe it was Timothy Keller. I think I was reading something written by him. Um, but the the point he was making is that when people talk about how the Bible, there's parts of the Bible that are offensive, he was saying, of course, like if the, if the Bible is the word of God, which means it's not written for one culture, it's meant for, it's written for all people of all time, then every culture ever that interacts with scripture 
is going to have things in it that seem strange to them. So just like there's parts of scripture that the Israelites had a really hard, the, the Israelites that we we're just reading about, like the ones that are in the wilderness would have had a hard time accepting. There's other parts to them that would have made perfect sense. And like, yeah, absolutely. And for us today, some of those are flipped, right? Like there's some things that we read and we're like, what on earth are we talking about? And then there's other things that we read where it's like, oh yeah, this completely, this completely checks out. Um, and I guess to be clear here, I, I do think it's important to say, um, when I say God's commands are to be followed, I don't mean that we are under the law, that we're under the old covenant, because that is not true. And we see that we see that revealed in the New Testament as well. Um, but what I do mean to say is that when we're reading through the Bible, we have to be very careful to not, as, as much as possible, it's, it's impossible to completely um, eradicate this, but as much as possible to fight, the, to fight off the cultural influences that we read it with today. As much as possible, we need to be able to go into scripture and say, what is God telling me? What does it mean to obey God? and put away all of the cultural baggage that we have with that. And, and that's an exceptionally difficult thing to do. Um, but I think today, like as we read Leviticus, it shows us some things again, that, and and like we don't need to follow these laws, but mm-hmm. um, it, it does show us some things that can sound strange. And even imagine like, because the, the old covenant was to be followed all the way up through the time of Christ. So even think a couple thousand years later, after all this is going down, um, this also would have probably seemed, at least in parts of it, strange to the the Jews of Jesus' time in like the first century as well. So kind of interesting there, but yeah, that's my idea is when we read the Bible, one of the applications we can take from Leviticus is to think to ourselves, what is God having me do? What mm-hmm. does it mean to obey God? Not, well, this clashes with what I already believe. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, that that's a nice little bump set spike um, Ooh. for my application because at the end of it, like, and this comes back out of chapter 20, uh, 26, I believe, of Leviticus, um, where it literally is this idea of, of there's blessings and provision of God when we obey uh, and there's discipline for lack of, a, of obedience. And, um, and, and, I, and I don't say that we need to follow the letter of the law in the Old Testament to a T. But what I really appreciated about chapter 26 there was um, just, I mean, it's, I will send rain when it, when it, when you, when it's supposed to be there, if you obey me, like God, his, his desire to bless um, and provide and fulfill his promises hinges on our willingness to trust and obey him. And, and we can get this in a microcosm as parents, if we are parents of children, where we are more apt and ready and willing to engage our children when they obey us and do what we've asked them to versus when they disobey. Um, and it's, I mean, easy example is my son, when I ask him to do the dishes and put his dishes away, he's five years old. He has kid dishes and silverware to put away. When he has a meltdown and throws a fit about that, I am less inclined to want to let him have his switch time or to watch a show or to go outside and play with his friends. Like when you don't uphold your end of the deal, which is to be obedient, I I am restricted in my willingness and ability to to reward you um, because they're not entitled to anything. So I just think there's something significant about the blessings for obedient. God's promises hinge on our, our willingness and ability to stay obedient. And, and it doesn't, it's not just an Old Testament pr- truth. It's also New Testament. Uh, and the one verse that I oftentimes am always reminded of is Romans 8. that talks about, we know that God works in all things. It doesn't stop there. That's not, it's just for, for the good of those who love him. Like it's not just there. It's in all called according to his purpose. There's qualifiers to God's, to God's provision and promises. And oftentimes they hinge on connectedness and commitment to his ways, his family and obedience to him. I mean, Jesus says point blank, you love me by, you show you love for me by your obedience to my commands. Um, and Leviticus, Leviticus shows us this idea of blessings for obedience and, but also punishment for disobedience and, and discipline for that. And so um, the challenge is, I mean, coming hand in hand is God's commands are to be followed. Yes. And there's blessings when we follow his commands. And, and it's a cyclical truth that God is provider. He's abundant. He loves and cares deeply for his people. Uh, and so I think that's a really important application for us today, even as we're reading through God's word. Well, before we wrap up today, we do have one more section, and that is, of course, answering some questions that came in. 
All right. Well, this week it's kind of interesting because normally I feel like the questions that we get in are very like conjecture based. Like, hey, here's maybe what we think about it. Uh, this week, both an- both questions have answers. <laughs> like, just straight up, like, hey, here's the answer to that. So it kind of it kind of works out. Um, but that also means they're going to be a little bit quicker to answer. So we can take two this week. Ooh. Um, so the first one is if you were meant to repay five times the amount per Exodus twenty two uh, so when you steal something. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, looks like a good guy when offering to pay back four times in Luke 19. Should he have paid back a smidge more to comply with the law? So remember Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. Um, He's robbing people. He's, I mean, robbing's not the right word. He's stealing though. He's saying he's making them pay more than they actually owe and he's keeping it for himself. Um, He comes to faith in Christ. He meets Jesus and he immediately wants to go make it right. And he offers back four times the amount of whatever he defrauded people. That's what he's going to do. Um, okay. So this is, this is really interesting. And it's, this one had me for a second too. Cause I was like, well, that's weird. Like why? Yeah. Why did he only pay back four times? So there's two passages that kind of reference this. The first one in Exodus 22, uh, it says this, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and he kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Um, now there's another verse in Leviticus. So that right there, it's like, okay, five oxen for an oxen, four times for the sheep, for the sheep. In Leviticus, we get this verse where it's the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and light about it, swearing falsely in any of these things that people do and sin thereby. I love the word thereby there. That makes it sound very legal. Uh, If he has sinned and realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what was got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall, boy, I'm losing my breath here. Uh, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him, uh, give it to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. So really simple mistake to make. The first one is dealing specifically with livestock. The second one is much more accurate to what Zacchaeus's situation is, because I would argue it's both, um, uh, by a matter of deposit security. So there, even there, it kind of feels like it's actually gold and money that's being referred to here. Um, and this says by deceiving his neighbor, which I think is a fair. That's what uh, Matthew did. That's a, yeah, that's a, yeah. Matthew and Zacchaeus um, through robbery, which again, isn't the right word or the oppression of a neighbor. I think oppression is the absolute best word for what Zacchaeus was doing. Cause it might not have even been deception. It might've just been straight up like sucks to be you. I'm the tax collector. So this is what you owe. I'm backed by the Roman government. So by that standard, what Zacchaeus must do to make it right is to give them back everything he took and plus 20%. Which which is a fifth. Yeah. Which is a fifth. So actually him offering to give back four times is very generous under what he was supposed to have done under the law. So kind of, yeah, kind of interesting that that was a great question though, because it definitely had, I had to go through and look at like, what are all these different laws about? So, um, and it's, it is funny where we think of like, we apply like the oxen thing to like everything. It actually does seem like there's different laws in place for livestock than there are for just yeah. straight up uh, gold, silver, things like that. So, but really great question. Uh, the second one is this. The second greatest commandment per Jesus is love your neighbor as yourself. But this isn't one of the 10 commandments as described in Exodus. Oh, snap. If I read the 10 commandments, it says not to be jealous of your neighbor or to steal their stuff. This is a smidge different from loving them. Uh, This version seems to crop up in Leviticus 19. So my question is, did the 10 commandments change or get paraphrased somehow? Uh, So this one's kind of interesting. Um, I think we have this picture of the 10 commandments as being it's going to sound really weird to say more important than they are. Wow. bro! I, I know. And so the 10 commandments are kind of like the first of the law. And I think even today, all of them, yeah, you should, you should follow the 10 commandments. Um, but I think they kind of have this place as if like they are the most important laws and everything else is kind of just like, that's the other law. You know what I mean? So it is interesting that when Jesus, when Jesus is asked, what are the two most important laws? He doesn't actually quote the 10 commandments. Um, he quotes Deuteronomy for the first one. And I'm going to read this here really quick. This is in chapter six, starting in verse one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. 
and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So for clarity, it's a quote quoting verse four, not verse one. Did I say verse one? You did say oh verse one. Oh my gosh. I got you, bro. Thank I got you. you. Thank you. So Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter one, verse chapter six, verse four. I'm all over the place today. So that's what Jesus is quoting for the most important commandment. The second commandment, uh, like the listener said, he's t- quoting Leviticus 19, which says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ooh. I am the Lord. So what I think Jesus is doing here when he says these are the two most important commandments is all of the other commandments flow out of these. Mm-hmm. And you could even break down the 10 commandments where the first four are about love, love the Lord your God. Really all 10 are because the way that we love others is a way of loving the Lord as well. Um, but the, the last six commandments are specifically about interpersonal relationships. And so I think what Jesus is saying in that moment is that these are the two commandments. If you follow these two commandments, you're pretty much going to get the rest of, you're going to get most of the rest of them. Obviously, it's not like a perfect thing. There's other things that are going on. Um, but if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to be doing a great job. So I think that's what Jesus is trying to communicate there. Um, the 10 commandments are super important, um, but I think sometimes we have this picture of them as kind of being above the rest of the law when that's not ne- that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. There, it's, it's, it's honestly partly also because it's the most easily digestible part of the law. Like it's, they're all succinct. It's pretty easy to understand what's being said in each of them, whereas a law of the law is complicated and, and a little bit hard to read through. So there you go. But great questions. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find our other resources on our website, grove.church, under the media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that The Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.